also find woven throughout all the scriptures. That we have a God Pastor Marie was praying for some of the realities in this world, and as I've talked to some of you this week, uh, I'm reminded of the fact that we have a God who still believes. Even when at first glance, everything else might seem the same. That's why we gather together each week is to worship the God who's with us, who hears our cries, and who shows up in our lives, and who still believes. I'm glad you joined us for that today, and if you're a guest, my name is Mark, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm, I'm so glad you chose to worship with us today as we worship the God who still moves in our midst. I want to give us a little bit of an update today, something I haven't talked about for a long, long time. I say a long time because how many of you remember a year ago? How many of you remember last week? For those of you who were with us about a year ago, you ri- might remember that you showed up one Sunday morning and we had shop lights on the platform. How many of you remember those days? We have an incredible building, but after 20 plus years, our lighting system got a little bit tired and stopped working appropriately and has yet to be fixed. We figured out some short-term solutions and some workarounds that have given us what we have. Uh, but we've still been working to address the main problem. Does anybody know how long it takes to get electricians in, to get models built of the sanctuary and lighting plugged into these computerized models, and then to order parts and actually wait for parts to arrive? It takes about a year. It takes about a year. Um, I just want to update you, though, with, with where we are on that. When I talked about a long time ago, we talked about how you know we have over 110 different lighting fixtures in this room, all controlled by the same system. And in the last 20 plus years, the lighting technology has changed, which means to stay with that technology and to continue to have control over all of those fixtures. It's not just the system in the back and the control board up there. It's also all 110 of those fixtures that eventually have to get changed to give us control over everything. So we've talked about doing this in a few phases. I want to let you know, phase one, which is the brains of the unit that sits back here, as well as the lights that illuminate this platform and the controls we have up there. Phase one is ordered and almost here. And so we are hopeful that sometime in November, phase one will will get installed. Uh, as far as the house lights, we'll be able to do a little bit, but it's either going to be all the way on or all the way off. We can't, we can't do more than that until we replace those lights. And uh, if you haven't priced out a three-foot fixture, they're not cheap. Um, but here's, here's the good news. By the time we're done with phase one and with what we think it will cost for the electricians and the other technicians working on things, we think we'll have about $5,000 left over for that. We also applied for a grant about six months ago, five or six months ago, and we received a $14,000 grant to help go towards our lighting system. We're really thankful. We also anticipate when this is done, receiving about $5,000 worth of rebates back as well. And so if you do the math, that puts us at, at close to $25,000, which we think is about half of the cost for finishing out the rest of, the rest of that work. Now, I say all that to you, but I also want to let you know this. We've, God's blessed us in many ways this last year. 
And we have some additional funds that we can tap into to help finish off that project. But I also share this with you because I realize there might be some of you who'd say, man, I can't believe we've done what we've done. I, I want to be a part of that and save those funds for something else. And if you want to do that, I just wanted to kind of let you know where we are with this. We're hoping to accomplish phase one as soon as possible and, and really soon order those fixtures for phase two so that you don't have to listen to me talk about lights again. So that's what we are hoping for. And uh, that's where we're at in this journey. And I uh, just, wanted, just wanted to update you with that. Uh, if you want to give towards that, you can. But there are so many other ways and things that you can give towards. And uh, if you have any questions about any of this, feel free to talk to myself. Uh, also, Nick, in charge of our facilities, you can talk to Nick. He can, he can tell you more than I can tell you about lights in this place. And uh, he'd be happy to talk to you as well. So, sound good? Yeah? All right. If you have your Bibles, let's continue in the book of Exodus today. I'd invite you to join me in Exodus chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 1. And if you're able to, would you just stand as we read God's Word this morning? The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month will be the first month. It will be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole Israelite community on the tenth day of this month, they must take a lamb for each household, a lamb per house. If a household is too small for a lamb, it should share one with a neighbor nearby. You should divide the lamb in proportion to the number of people who will be eating it. Your lamb should be a flawless year-old male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You should keep close watch over it until the fourteenth day of this month. At twilight on that day, the whole assembled Israelite community should slaughter their lambs. They should take some of the blood and smear it on the two doorposts and on the beam over the door of the houses in which they are eating. That same night, they should eat the meat roasted over the fire. They should eat it along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Don't eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it over fire with its head, legs, and internal organs. Don't let any of it remain until morning and burn any of it left over in the morning. This is how you should eat it. You should be dressed with your sandals on your feet and your walking stick in your hand. You should eat the meal in a hurry. It is the Passover of the Lord. I'll pass through the land of Egypt that night and I'll strike down every oldest child in the land of Egypt, both humans and animals. I'll impose judgments on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be your sign on the houses where you live. Whenever I see the blood, I'll pass over you. No plague will destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day will be a day of remembering for you. You will observe it as a festival to the Lord. You will observe it in every generation as a regulation for all time. This is the word of God for the people of God. We stay together. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. You know, when we left off last week, Moses was debating with God. God was calling Moses to be his his vessel to use to to go to Egypt and Pharaoh to set God's people free. But Moses wasn't so sure that he had what it took to to accomplish this task. Well, eventually, Moses agrees, and God sends Moses along, along with, with Aaron, and they, they go to Egypt, and, and, 
And Moses meets with the Hebrew leaders. He tells them the things that God has said. Yahweh, the I am, the I am who I am, the one who always has been and always will be. This is the God, the God of our fathers, the God of our ancestors. This is the one who's going to set us free. And God shows them the signs that God instructed him to, to, to show them. And, and the Hebrew leaders hear Moses and they see this and they believe. So Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they say, this is what Yahweh, the God of our people, says. He says, let my people go. Well, Pharaoh has nothing with this. He just kind of laughs them off. And, and in fact, after this, Pharaoh tells the, the foreman of the Egyptians to, to no longer provide the straw for them, but require them to continue making the same amount of bricks because they must just be lazy. Well, the people continue under this now heavier burden, and they complain to Moses. And Moses complains to God. Doesn't understand why it's working out this way, but God assures Moses that God will be with Moses. And so Moses and Aaron return to Pharaoh, and the message is the same. God says, let my people go. This time, in order to try to prove to Moses that that God is, is over every other kind of God. Aaron throws down his, his staff, and it turns into a snake. Now, I used to always read this growing up in southwest Washington and think gardener snake in my mind. If this is Egypt, it's probably a cobra of some sort. And we're told that Pharaoh's magicians threw all of their staffs down, and all of their staffs became snakes. Have you ever wondered why you would want more snakes in that place? But the Aaron's staff snake eats up all of the other snakes, and then Aaron picks it back up, and it becomes a staff once again. Well, they leave, and they come back sometime later, and, and they say to Pharaoh, they say, hey, God says, let my people go. You won't let the people go. This is what I'm going to do this time. Aaron will, Moses and Aaron, will, they'll, they'll come and raise the staff, and all of the, the river Nile will turn into blood. And the river will stink, and the fish will die, and there won't be any clean water for you to drink. And Pharaoh's magicians did their things, and they turned even more water into blood. Again, why would you want to do something like that, Right? They were told that Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not listen. So Moses and Aaron leave, and they come back again, and, and they say, God says, let my people go, and if you won't go, then frogs are going to infest the land. And so that's what happens. Frogs begin to come up out of the waters and fill people's homes and kitchens and bathrooms and everywhere. Frogs are everywhere, and Pharaoh's magicians use their own magic arts, and even more frogs come about. Like, have you ever thought about how crazy this part of this story seems? You actually, as I was thinking about this, thinking about these three episodes where Pharaoh has his magicians use their magic arts, and even more of these bad situations happen. I don't think this is just some sort of little anecdote in this story. I actually think this reveals some things to us. 
it's kind of like taking a magnifying glass and and seeing what is really there that you don't automatically see with your own eyes. I think this passage reveals something of the character of the kingdoms of this world. You might remember that when we started in the book of Exodus, we said there's sort of this defining question. Whom will you serve? It's a question that the Hebrew people have to face. Will they serve Pharaoh or will they serve God? It's a question that you and I must answer as well. Whom will we serve? Because the truth of the matter is, we don't choose to serve God, then we choose to serve some other sort of power. And this passage here kind of puts a magnifying glass on what the powers about us are really like. See, there's only one that we can choose to serve who leads to life and hope and a future. And that's Jesus. Any other choice of whom we might serve leads to a a life of chaos and destruction and trouble. And we just kind of catch a little glimpse of that here in the midst of the story of some of these first plays. You know, these first things don't really seem to matter, but we kind of set up this cycle where Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh that God says, let my people go, and if you don't let my people go, these are the consequences that you're going to bring on yourself. And Pharaoh doesn't listen. And Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. And we see this with gnats and with flies and with plagues against livestock and boils and hail and locusts and darkness until finally we come to what we know of as the Passover. It's the plague of the death of the firstborn male of every person for every animal in all of Egypt. But, God makes a way out for his people. God makes a way to save the firstborn of all of his people. And that's what we read about just a few moments ago. Some of the the defining instructions for how they were to experience and live through Passover as the people of God. At the center of the Passover meal was a young lamb. A, a young lamb or a young goat that the family was to was to take and, and was to sacrifice and eat. But this wasn't just an ordinary sacrifice. They were to take some of the blood from the lamb and, and paint it on their doorposts and, and the head of their door. And they were to roast this over the fire and they were to eat this in a hurry, dressed, ready to go. And in a meal that was eaten with bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of their slavery. And bread without yeast because there wouldn't be enough time to allow the bread to rise naturally. This was the Passover meal that was to remind them of the way in which God was going to save his people. We're also told that, that God instructed them that they were to eat this meal year after year, generation after generation that this would continue to be a reminder for God's people. See, this is a defining story. A defining story for the Hebrew people, but, but not only them, it's actually a defining story in all of Scripture, which means it's also a defining story for, for you. This is one of those things that, that gives meaning and shape and life so much. 
But going back to the verses in Exodus here, I want to share what I find so remarkable about this. Here we have the Hebrew people who are still slaves. They're still located in Egypt. They're a long ways from Canaan. And if you know the rest of this story, they're a long time from Canaan as well. A long, long time from Canaan. And yet, it's still in this place of slavery. In this land where they have no freedom and no power and no control of their own. Where they have a celebration that they are a people with a new identity. They celebrate that they are free. That they have a future. That they have a land to call home. They have this celebration while they're still located in Egypt. Did you catch this? This isn't a celebration about the present. It's a celebration about the future. And they're able to celebrate the future because they're celebrating a future that's made possible because of God. And they can trust in God because they've seen what God has done in the past. And so they know that they can trust what God will do in the future. This is a pretty remarkable example of faith and trust. You know, when we think about this sometimes in, in the larger scope of Scripture, we, we talk about some of the characteristics that we have as a Christian people. And when we think about the nature of God's kingdom, sometimes we'll say that the nature of God's kingdom is this, this already and not yet. We find ourselves living in this, this sort of in-between place between the already and the not yet. What we mean by that is this. We believe that we have a God who has already come into this world. Amen? We believe that, that Jesus Christ, through His death and resurrection, has already conquered sin and death. We also believe that God's redeeming power will one day, as in the words of Revelation, make all things new. But we're not there yet. Christ has already come. And Christ has already conquered sin and death, right? And one day, God's redemptive power will be complete. But in the meantime, we kind of find ourselves living between the already and not yet. We can experience the, the life and the freedom that comes from Christ, but we also recognize that we still live in the world, in a world in which there's a lot of brokenness, right? You probably don't need me to tell you that. Because either you watch the news or you've experienced it in your own life, but very likely both of those things. We live in a world in which there's, there's still a, a, a whole lot of brokenness because God's redemptive work is not yet fully finished. One of the challenges of living between the already and the not yet is we can lose our imagination we lose our imagination, it's hard for us to anticipate the not yet nature of God's kingdom. If we lose our imagination, it's difficult for us to celebrate freedom when we're still in Egypt. If we lose imagination, we can get so fixed on the present that we fail to look towards the future. I think it's one of the reasons why God reminded His people that, that they were to practice this year after year, after year. Because as children of God, we are people who, yes, while we find ourselves in the present, we are people of the future. 
because we know that the future is in the hands of a loving God. You know, we didn't read about this here in this text, but as God's people would celebrate the Passover meal year after year, there were certain things that kind of became custom of what they would do. One of the things that became a custom for the Hebrew people as they would celebrate this meal is, it is every year when they would celebrate this, the youngest son would ask a question. You know what that question is? Why is this night different than any other day? What is it about this night that makes this night special? Generation after generation after generation, up until the present the Hebrew people celebrate this meal the young son and say, what is it that makes the And you know what the answer is? The answer to that question is, what makes this night different is we were slaves. We were slaves with no hope, no future, no possibility. And God heard our cries. And God set us free. You hear that answer? It's not what makes this special is a long, long time ago. God heard the cries of some of our ancestors when they were slaves. The answer to that question is, we were slaves. God heard our cries. And God set us free. You know, one of the things that we do as a congregation we gather together on a regular basis to celebrate the communion. As we celebrate the communion meal, we're reminded that we have a God who sees us, who hears us, and who comes to us. As we celebrate the communion meal, we, we're reminded that we're a lot alike those Hebrew people. We can find ourselves in situations in life when we feel oppressed, when we feel like there's no possibility of a tomorrow, that we're stuck somewhere that we cannot get out of. But because we have a God who sees and hears and shows up, we can celebrate this meal with joy because we know the one. And so, we eat a meal with bread that hasn't yet risen. Reminded that, that we are people ready to go because God shows up in our midst. And God comes to us to meet us and to answer our cries. We invite those who are, are going to help us to serve to come and, and to begin to uh, distribute the elements today. And I just invite you, if you're here today, Everybody who longs, who desires, who trusts in the love and grace of God is welcome to join us for this meal today. So I just invite you to, to take a piece of the bread and take the cup as our ushers distribute it where you're seated. And once everyone's had an opportunity to be served, we'll come back together and receive this meal together. We have a good one. We
to be a means of grace to the world around us. So God, today we humbly offer ourselves to you as we humbly receive these gifts from you. In your name we pray. Amen. The night that Jesus would be betrayed, he gathered together with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal. To remember all that God has done and to move into the future for us. As they shared in that meal together, as it came time to break the bread, Jesus broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Later on in the meal, it came time to pass the cup. When it was time to pass the cup, Jesus said, This is my blood, which is shed for you. Blood of the new covenant. Whenever you eat of the bread or drink of the cup, always be thankful. Let us drink together. Lord, we thank you again today for your love and mercy and grace. Lord, we pray that your grace would continue to be at work within us so that it can work through us to those around us. In your name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand together for a benediction, but I want to remind you of something we've, we've started to do recently. Each week following service, we have a pastor who's, who's over, over here, Pastor Billy's over there today. We just want to make sure that every week we have someone who's available. If you need someone to pray with, you need somebody to talk to, or if you just have questions on something that's happening in the life of our congregation. You can always find any of us, but we realize that it often kind of gets busy and hectic out here in the lobby. And so each week, we just want someone who's available. And so uh, Pastor Billy is here today for you if, if you need to talk to a pastor about anything. Let's stand for our, our benediction today. As we prepare to go from this place... We acknowledge that we cannot live godly lives to our own strength and power. We need God's grace, and we also need one another. As we go, may you go in the grace and peace that comes from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.